Good evening. Thank you all so much for being here tonight. It's so nice to be together um, for our second dinner of the year after taking a COVID hiatus. Uh, we are thrilled that Joanne was able to be with us this evening. So on behalf of um, ECW, welcome Joanne. We are looking forward to hearing um, what you have to teach us tonight. Uh, I'm Chrissy Batten. I should have said that first. Um, and I'm going to do an introduction uh, for Joanne, and then um, I will give her the floor. Uh, Joanne is an engaging speaker, writer, and Bible teacher. Her speaking style includes both vulnerability and humor, and is rooted in her passion for the Bible. She has shared her passion globally with speaking engagements ranging from the coast of South Carolina to the coast of California, and from universities to the Women's Union of Nairobi, Kenya. Driven by a vision to motivate women to pursue a deeper relationship with God, Ellison founded Drawing Near to God in 2000 and has since reached tens of thousands of women through Christian radio, television broadcasts, her weekly Bible study, live streaming, speaking, books, CDs, and DVDs. She is the author of over 20 Bible study guides and the popular 365-day Bible devotional, Drawing Near to God, Sitting at His Feet devotional, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again, and Making Space for God. She must find time to sleep every now and then, but <laughs> quite, quite a, an accomplished lady. Founder of international nonprofit Drawing Near to God Ministries based in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, Joanne's teachings transform women to set the pace for a culture devoted to loving God and loving others. This is done with teaching and worship experiences, prayer ministry, mentoring, and missions. She is a mother of three, grandmother of 11, and has been married for 45 plus years to, 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 to Dr. Blunt Ellison. Making her home in the Charleston area for most of her life, Ellison is a graduate of the College of Charleston and an active member of St. Andrew's Church in Mount Pleasant. And used to be here. <laughs> and what St. <laughs> Philip's. <laughs> um, I do have one of um, the, the Bible study guides that Joanne um, brought this evening. And so with all the Bible studies here at St. Philip's, it'd be you know, a great idea to pick these up. You can find them um, on the website, right, drawingneartogod.com. Um, and so, uh, and you have 20, are there 20 different, yeah, different guides? Okay, and the books are on Amazon. So, um, and if, if anybody has questions about where to find anything, the website, or you can get in touch um, with the church office and we'll lead you in the right direction. Um, I wanted to say a quick thank you to Connie Stahl. I just missed her. She's going in the kitchen for the um, delicious dinner tonight. Um, and then to our musicians, Joanna McMurphy, Georgia Bell, and Pam Dixon for the beautiful music. And to uh, Sarah Stir for the beautiful camellias on the table tonight. <laughs> um, thank you all again for coming, and Joanne, I'll give you the floor. Thank you, Chrissy. That was quite the introduction. Is Do you feel like, can you hear me on this? No. Can you hear me now? Yes. I can project a little bit more if you need me to. I am Greek, okay, so I don't do well with sitting still. And I look, they gave me two podiums. People that know me, I get so excited about speaking about Jesus. I love this topic. He is my main squeeze and the reason I live. Um, we've had plenty of prayer, but I want to begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for this time and this opportunity. It is a privilege 
to be in this space, to be in this church, the incredible things that are happening under this roof. And I am so humbled, so humbled to be here tonight. I thank you for my sisters in Christ, and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will speak through me and that you will lead these women to know you more, to love you more, and to behold you as the one main thing in their lives. Jesus. Amen. So I want to begin tonight with um, this email. Her diary. Tonight, I thought my husband was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. I was shopping with my friends all day long, so I thought he was upset at the fact that I was a bit late, but he made no comment on it. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested, let's just go somewhere quiet. Any, any of you like this? You know, you're just sort of thinking, let's go somewhere quiet, we need to talk, conversation's not flowing. He agreed, but he didn't say much, and I asked him, what's wrong with you? And he said nothing. I asked him, was it my fault that he was upset? Can you all hear me? He said, no, he wasn't upset, that it had nothing to do with me. Don't worry about it. On the way home, I told him I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. Now remember, she's writing to her diary, on her, in her diary. I cannot explain his, his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say I love you too. When we got home, I felt as if I had lost him completely. As if he wanted nothing to do with me anymore. He just sat there quietly, watched TV, and he continued to be distant and absent. Finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. About 15 minutes later, he came to bed, but I still felt he was distracted, and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I cried and cried. I don't know what to do. I'm almost sure that his thoughts are with someone else. My life is a disaster. His diary. Motorcycle won't start. Can't figure out why. I know. I love that. I tell you this because, friends, our perspectives can be so askew. We are naturally hardwired to see things through our own lenses. And often they're inaccurate. They can be judgmental, they can be harsh, they can be confusing, they can be tormented. But in Christ, we have the mind of Christ. We're clothed with his character, but we have to grow up in our salvation. We have to grow up in having kingdom lenses Kingdom, I always do this in class, kingdom lenses, and kingdom perspective. Why? Because, frankly, the culture needs a people with kingdom lenses and a kingdom perspective, a people clothed in the character of Christ, walking, talking, carrying the presence of God in such a way that when we walk into a room, the atmosphere is changed. The culture needs a people that see things clearly and that we are the people that can lead others into a place that is not confusing and not tormenting and not stressful. In Christ, we, his people, must grow up in our salvation. Jesus explained this new way of living in him, his, this new perspective, this new wardrobe, if you will, of kindness and patience and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. He explained this in John 15, but it can only be accessed as we behold him, as we abide in him, and as we become like him. There's no shortcut to it. 
So the title tonight is Behold and Become. In 1 Peter 2, 1 through 5, I'll read this to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, evil, slander, any kind of, of mis- slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. This is what Peter was saying, that we have to be transformed into the image of Christ. J.D. Walt, maybe some of you read him, he says we tend to come to the Christian faith as what I would call a replacement theory. It's the replacement of bad behavior with good behavior. But actually, what Jesus did on the cross was displacement. It was displacement. It wasn't replacement. It wasn't saying, okay, today I'm going to be good. It's why we have to pay close attention to the first word that we saw in First Peter. Therefore, you know the key hermeneutical question is, what is it there for? Look back at 123, and this is what the text says. For you have been born again, of perishable, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Translation... The miracle has happened already. Everything has changed. The center of gravity has shifted, and it's a total restart, a total new birth. Displacement of the old life, not replacement. Let me give you an example. One, I don't remember when it was, but it was last year sometime. I decided that I was, I wake up early, and so does my husband, and I was determined that I was going to wake up cheery. I'm not a morning person, but I was going to be cheerful, and I was going to be kind, and I was going to be patient, and man, I was just going to make it happen. And I woke up, and, and he said something about what he wanted me to do that day, and my schedule was slammed. So at 6 a.m., I was clothed in patience and humility and goodness and kindness. At 6.03, I was a lioness ready to throttle him. Because truth is, the truth is, we can't do this. We can't just replace our bad behavior with good behavior. It is not replacement. It is the work of the cross. It's displacement. It's what Jesus has already done on the cross. The way we access that is to behold him. The more we behold him, the more Jesus has us in his grip. The more we change, his presence actually begins to work in us that new creation. You know, it's not our behavior that can change. What needs to change is making space for God, making space to behold him. You know, we tend in the church to say, first you have to believe and then you have to behave. And I don't know about you all, but I was a wild little kid. And you put me in church and tell me believe and behave, I might as well have just, you might as well just locked me out of the church. It isn't believe and behave, it's behold my sisters in Christ and become. It's behold and become Christ's way. That's his way. As we abide in him, we become like him. The more we behold in him. You remember, um, well, first let me give you the definition, to behold. To fix our eyes upon or to see with attention. Blunt gets so mad at me. Blunt is his name, and he is blunt, okay? He just gets so mad at me because I am... Like I said, I'm Greek, and I'm all over the map, and I'm passionate about things, and he is left-brained. And So when we have company over for dinner, he does this to me all the time. It drives me crazy. He says, he calls me Jojo. He'll say, look, Jojo, 
You're going to have to focus tonight. I said, okay, I will, I will, I will. You're in charge of the Greek salad. I'm going to do the grilling. So, of course, people come, and what do I do? Ah, people, you know, I'm all over. And he's trying to find me, and he, this is his signal. <laughs> now, I'll tell you something. People don't like it either. They don't think it's really charming when your husband goes, my eyes are on you. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. That is what we have to do with the Lord. We have to behold him and become like him. You know, I was thinking about this talk this morning, and the scripture that came to mind was the transfiguration. You know the story, Peter, James, and John, his best buddies, his tight group around him, they went up with Jesus to the mountain, they saw Elijah the prophet, they saw Moses the law, they saw the glory of God in God in Jesus, and God spoke, this is my beloved son. And Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody what you saw. They came down off the mountain. They didn't really understand it until after the resurrection because they had peeked into heaven. They had, they had seen a little bit of the glory of God resting on Jesus. But Jesus was the Messiah, his, but mostly their, his friend, their friends. So they didn't have that complete perspective. Again, there's that word perspective. But we see that after he died and rose again, we see these words that John penned. He said, we beheld him in all of his glory. His perspective totally changed. And then we see Peter writing, we did not follow clever, clever, invented stories. We were eyewitnesses to Jesus and the glory of God. It was after the resurrection when they began to really hone in and behold him, who he was, the King of Kings, the Son of God. I want to take a look at the life of Peter for a minute. Peter was a follower of Jesus, as we know. He didn't become a real beholder until after the resurrection as well. He did have one moment when he walked on water. He did pretty good and behold, beheld Jesus, and then he fell when he looked down. But here's the thing about Peter. He was impetuous. He ran ahead. I mean, you know, he was just one of those, I can imagine, he was just all over the place. I totally relate to him. Scattered, sometimes, quick to talk. We have just gone through three years, maybe two and a half, of confusion and up and start and homeschooling the kids and then bringing the kids back home and then going to your job and then being brought back into the home and just scattered and confusion. I mean, much like the chaos that Peter sometimes lived in, Peter's personality bigger than life. In our jumpstart fast culture, in the last years in which we've lived, you know, I sort of feel like we're living like him. Who has time to behold God? The next thing you open the news and you see something else has happened. Your kids, your grandkids, wherever point of life you're in, one minute he's praying in the garden. Peter's all about praying in the garden. The next minute he's falling on the job, asleep, just like the other disciples. The next minute he's cutting off the guard's ear, for crying out loud. Peter, passionate for Jesus, taught to serve, taught to surrender to his master, but boy, ready for war when he needed to be. But here's what Jesus taught Peter, and this is important for us to understand because in the beginning, I said we need kingdom lenses, kingdom perspective. Peter needed that too. Jesus taught Peter. Peter, I imagine he said this. Peter, 
Peter, fear is going to get the best of you, buddy. Fear is going to get the best of you if you do not behold me. Remember, Peter? You walked on the water and you quit looking at me and you fell. And by the way, Peter, the way you fight is not the way of the kingdom. It's not kingdom water, warfare. Don't cut off the ear. You remember? He cut off the guard's ear in the garden. He said, don't cut off the ear of your enemy. Now, people, listen to this. He said, heal his ear. He didn't say that. I'm making this up. But I imagine this is what he's saying. In the kingdom, with kingdom perspective, in the culture in which we live today, we don't cut the ear off of our enemy. We heal the ear. When we behold Jesus and are transformed and clothed in his patience and kindness and goodness, it doesn't matter what's going on. Pandemic, political unrest, racial unrest, all of the things we faced in the last few years in this terrible situation in Ukraine, what it is is we get our kingdom lenses on as we behold him, clothed in his character, walking in a room that is chaotic and upside down, and we become a city on a hill. We become the light of Christ. And when we are in a place that is chaotic, we walk in shalom, in peace. The Greek word is isikia. That's what the world needs. That's what the culture needs today. They need the likes of us with kingdom perspective, clothed in the character of Christ. But it takes work. It's a journey. We have to deal with our fear, you all. We have to learn to love. If we don't deal with our fear, fear is going to get the best of us, and it's perfect love that casts out fear. The truth is fear cannot stand where love abounds, because Jesus says perfect fear will cast out, perfect love will cast out fear. The two can't coexist. This is what Jesus taught Peter. This is what he taught the disciples. So let's look at fear for a minute. And the reason I'm going here is because as we behold him, perfect love is, becomes part of our DNA, and fear just has to take a hike, you guys. There's no way the two can coexist. And let me tell you something. Make no mistake, the enemy is given an onslaught. Is there such a word? Onslaught, yeah. Of assignments of fear that have been sent out. He's used the pandemic, he's used everything. But God has this incredible plan to let us grab his closer to the hem of his garment so that we can behold and become more like him so his love can cast out fear. So let's look at fear. Fear is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. We're in a battle in our culture today. Anger is not our weapon of warfare. Our weapons are supernatural, poured out by the Holy Spirit of love, kindness, self-control. Paul puts it this way, our weapons are not of this world. They're not carnal. Jesus taught Peter that being angry and cutting off a guard's ear was not fighting with kingdom weapons. The kingdom weapon is love. We fight with love. We fight with bringing healing to those who are in need. Enemies are not. No matter where people are, no matter if they're believers or unbelievers, no matter if their ideologies are different than ours, no matter which aisle of the political aisle they're on, we are called to love with agape love in a way. We don't have to agree. Don't get me wrong. I can go on all day about how I disagree with what's being pushed out into our culture today. But I'm going to tell you right now, the people that I have been seeing are so thirsty for Christ. And when I walk in and I'm willing to listen, just listen, 
You know, they may have tats all over them. They may have, who knows what's going on. And I can just sit and listen to them and love them because God created them. And they're saying all kinds of things. I, you know, I'm, I just, you can't imagine the people I get in front of. And they know you listen and they know you care. And they know that there's something different about you. There is a shift in the heart of the people that you're talking to. Because we have beheld the king. And when we behold him, we can't help but be changed and transformed by him. And this is what the world needs. They need laid down lovers of Jesus Christ. We fight with love. So let's get practical. How do we position ourselves to have Jesus as our main focus, our singular focus, our... He's going to die, I told that story. If you know him, don't tell him. I have to tell you one quick thing. Probably shouldn't. Um, I think it was Bishop Sam, and I'm trying to remember. Anyway, I was giving a talk somewhere, and apparently my husband had seen this woman as a patient or something. Anyway, I give the talk, and first of all, I asked him, I said, look, I'm in a hurry. Can you just give me a warm-up joke or something to tell? You know, my, my dad always talked to me. He said, do something so people won't think you're nervous. So I, you know, did that, and Blunt gave me a joke that was very off-color. And Bishop Salmon is walking down the aisle in the middle of this talk, and I'm getting ready to read this thing, and I look at him and go, oh, can't do that. I put that in, so I was already mad at him to begin with. And, you know, um, after the talk, this woman comes down the aisle with her cane, very loud, and with a very loud voice. And she says, um, I'm really disappointed in your talk tonight. And I went, oh, gosh. I said, did I offend you? I said, I, I, I try not to be offensive. She said, no, your husband told me that you were going to speak on how to be the wife of a perfect husband. <laughs> anyway, don't know why I told you that, but I did. So let's get practical. How do we behold Christ? How do we have time to do it? How do we put our focus there in a world that is a whirlwind of a world? How do we do it? Just going to get real practical. How, does, how will this impact our lives, our jobs, our the culture in which we live, step one, we have to get rid of busyness. Busyness, B-U-S-Y, you've heard it many times, being under Satan's yoke. We have to do what God asks us to do every day. No more, no less. Ladies, we are multitaskers, and we're really good at it. But sometimes our heads are spinning like this. God has an assignment for each one of us each day. Each day it's different. It may be a singular focus, but each day is different. Number one, how do we behold him? Make space. Look at your calendars. And here I just told somebody I was going yesterday from 5 in the morning till 8 p.m. That was just a bad day. We have to get rid of busyness, the things that God never called us to do. Sometimes pride gets in the way. You know, we take on things because we might be good at it or show that we're smart or capable. I don't know. Sometimes we overcommit because of out-of-control counterfeit gift of mercy. Anybody out there have a counterfeit gift? So you're just giving and giving and giving, burning out. Our first calling is to love God and behold him, wholeheartedly love him with our whole heart, our whole soul. We can't do that if we're fractured and all these things. So the first thing is get rid of busyness. God must be our first priority, even before people. We can only love people from, the, from loving God first. When our love for God gets our first attention, what pours out of us is from the overflow. I can always tell 
when I'm doing something I'm not called to do. The burden is heavy, number one. But number two, I'm not working from the overflow. I'm tired or whatever. When God has asked me to do something, I am the energizer bunny. Step two. Number one, look at your calendars. Take your calendars every single morning in your quiet time. What are we doing today, Lord? And just extract the things that are not from him. Number two, cultivate intimacy with Christ. Make space somewhere. I do early morning. I watch the sunrise. God and I spend time together. I am at that stage of life that I can do that. But frankly, I had to go to my board and to the, to the people around me, staff and whoever, and say, you know what? I want to start my day a little bit later. And so, because you're only getting part of me. And, and they understood that. And frankly, they were happy to have less time with me, I think, because I'm not very administrative. Um, but set us time every day where early morning, read your scripture and let the scripture read you. Don't believe everything you see and everything you hear. Let the word read you. The culture, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're speaking and bombarding our minds, right? I had to confess in front of a group of women this morning that I had agreed with a lie a year ago, and I had been walking it out all year and backing out from a certain call that God had called me to do. So all of those voices can hijack the call and anointing on our lives. So we have to spend time in the Word and let the Word read us. Don't believe everything everybody tells you everything and, or everything you hear. Let God speak to you. And that brings me to step number three. We've got to learn to hear His voice. We have to learn to hear His voice. Years ago, I remember reading John 10. My sheep will hear my voice. And I said, oh good, I can hear you. I'll be able to hear your voice. Radio silent. No voice. I couldn't hear anything. You know, and, and everything's so loud. And, you know, I was raising kids and it was so loud. And one day I said, you said in your word. Right here. Look. I'm your sheep in your pasture. I don't hear your voice. And the Lord said, shh, be still. He said, it isn't my problem. You're on AM and I'm on FM. You've just dialed into the wrong station. Ah, oh, that changed my life. Learning to hear his voice. You've got to know the scriptures, guys. We've got to have the scriptures so in us so that it's our plumb line. Get people around you that will speak into your life. I came here tonight. I was a little anxious about coming tonight. I, I, I felt like I didn't have anybody with me, to be honest. I'm a people person. I wanted somebody with me, but um, it didn't work out that way because um, he said, he'd bring anybody with you. I went, no, I'm a loser. <laughs> I walked in here and I saw my family. I saw Pam, Georgia, Frenchie and Juanita and Sarah and Cam. I just was so happy. Thank you for being here. We need each other. You need people to speak in your lives. People that will take the clutter of your mind and say the Word of God doesn't say that, sister. Number four, give up focusing on your behavior. Spend more time focusing on beholding. My behavior is so lousy when I'm tired. And I will start focusing on that. I wasn't a good wife. I wasn't a good grandmother. I wasn't a good ministry leader. I wasn't. Stop focusing on behavior and behold him. And he'll show you who you really are. It's really incredible how simple this is. I want to read to you an excerpt from my book, Making Space for God. Lessons from Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. <clears throat> Mary probably had a lot of storms in her life. We don't know for sure. But we do know that no one is exempt from storms. 
those things in our lives that wreak havoc. Perhaps as she sat at the feet of Jesus, she had just experienced one. But you can be sure of one thing. When she sat at the feet of the Jesus, her storm was stilled. Perhaps the storm was within her own soul. You know the kind where you feel battered and wounded and depressed. My guess is the longer she remained at the feet, the more the waves of peace washed over her weary soul. She simply wasn't going to get up and help in the kitchen. She preferred to sit in the peace waves. Mary chose the needed thing of intimacy with Christ. This is our position, sisters of strength. This is the eye of the storm. Mary focused on beholding, not behaving. Her sister got mad because she would not behave. As she wished she would in the kitchen. Mary chose to behold Jesus and become, not just simply behave. In the hour in which we live, this is critical mass stuff right now. So simple. Make space for God. Read your word. Be like Mary. Step five, distance yourself from sin through repentance. Sin is like a cancer, and radiation is the presence of God. Turn from sin. I love this thing. Repentance is turning back to the penthouse of God's thinking. I heard that somewhere. We just give the enemy legal ground by allowing him in. Step number six. Ooh, this one I don't like. Suffering produces the desire to behold him. If everything's wonderful in your life, I have right now in this season, I have more battles going on on every front. It is so remarkable to me that I am standing at total peace, but it's just a lot of big stuff going on. And in the middle of all of that storm, the Lord keeps showing me where the eye of the storm is, that place of protection. But what I realize is that the suffering, I bet pandemic did this for some of you, the suffering is creating me a thirst to behold him even more. So if we didn't have suffering, we wouldn't want to spend the time because we wouldn't need to spend the time. So suffering produces the desire to behold him. Paul said that. He said, you know, for I've been given the privilege of trusting in Christ and also to suffer for him. I just want to, um, I have a lot of other notes up here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of forego those. I want to read to you, some of you may know, Bernard Clairvaux. Women, this is a picture of what we're called to be. I pray this every morning. I pray a couple of things. Father, here I am, I put my arms out, the one that you love. I can, you know, I don't have to say that. I say that to remind myself that he loves me. And then I tell him my name, Iwana, is my name, Iwana in Greek. Here I am, the one that you love, Iwana. Now, he knows my name. All of this is for me to remind myself of who I am in him. And, and then the next thing I say, Lord, I want you to fill me up with your spirit. I go through repentance and then say, fill me up with your spirit. I want to be a sponge that you just soak up with the presence of the Lord. Just wash me, fill me. And then I just want you to wring me out all day long. Listen to her words, Bernard Clerva. If then you are wise, you will show yourself rather as a reservoir than as a canal. A canal spreads water as it receives it, but a reservoir waits until it is filled before overflowing. And thus, without loss to itself, it shares its abundant water. We are called to be reservoirs, filled and filled and filled. And then we're just operating out of the overflow. Sponges that are wrung out, we don't even feel the wringing out. Because the next morning we're going to get filled back up. 
The world needs that. The world is thirsty for us, for Jesus in us. We are called to live from a reserve of Jesus. Are you overburdened? Are you overtaxed? Has, has pandemic done you in? This is the hour that the church has to shift. We have to shift into less busyness, more listening, more beholding, more hearing the shepherd's voice, more allowing the scriptures to get so deep in us that they pour out like a river, and then reach out to the angry, the lost, the broken, and the hurt. And we'll be so filled up with Christ that Christ in us will spark something in them, accessing our inheritance, because this is not replacement of God in us. This is he displaced our old life with the cross, with him. Let me pray for you. Father, I just sense weariness. I sense weariness in women who understand they're the heart of the home and the pace in the world is upside down and your women, your people, your beloved daughters of the king are tired. And yet women set the pace. And so Lord, I ask you now to slow our paces down, to teach us to behold you, to be filled as a reservoir to flow out to a thirsty world only with the overflow and to give you space in our lives, creative space to shift and change us in a moment's notice if we are called to go somewhere else rather than where we think we're to go. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Father, put us on duty, but take us off the places that we are called to be off duty. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege